Ek het so'n bykie van die poefterstem, so as ek nie my eik het nie, as ek in my job sien. Ok, can you hear me now? Cool. I must be honest, I don't teach that often in English because I thoroughly believe that um, that the English all really colonized the whole earth, they're not going to colonize heaven. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a bit difficult um, to, for me, so please excuse me if my tenses suck, just know that my Afrikaans is just as bad as my English. Um, the church where I'm a pastor, they regularly moan about my English that I use instead of proper Afrikaans, so just be with me please. Um, who am I? I'm Anton. I'm married to Lynette, and I have two kids. My daughter's name is Lynette. She's seven years old, and my boy is three years old, and his name is Yandre. I thoroughly love my zoo, and that's what I live for. My dierentuin is my alles. And I must be honest, I think the biggest privilege of being a dad and a husband is that I'm, I'm quite screwed up. I'm messed up. I'm selfish. I'm not the best kind of person. But the place where I've experienced the grace of God and where I've experienced life in new ways is in my family life. So if you don't have a family, that's definitely something that you can look forward to. It's hard work. It costs a lot of money. But it's definitely the best thing um, that can happen to, to you. Um, I've met Nicholas when he was standard eight. Standard nine. Uh, you don't want... Um, the school um, contacted me to be the life coach at school, and if they know what I did, they would have definitely fired me. Um, regularly, there was a group of about 10 to 15 matrix in my office, um, and I was doing mentoring and pastoral care, but in the meantime, we were playing worms on my computer, um, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. Um, you never went to the Pilansburg, they sometimes bonked school, and I took them to Pilansburg and Goldriff City and stuff like that. So, um, so there's a couple of good kids that I really love from that time. Um, every year, fortunately, <laughs> that's why I learned that God is bigger than my biggest mistake, so that's awesome. Um, uh, uh, I must be honest, I don't know how you guys feel about New Year's resolutions, um, but I hate it completely, um, mostly because I don't have a lot of self-discipline. I start off every year and think, this is not what I'm going to do, and when I see myself, I, I did the stuff that I didn't want to do. So about three or four years ago, I decided instead of um, getting New Year's resolutions, I'm going to get a motto for a year, and I'm trying to live my life the year according to that motto. And this year I decided that my motto is going to be, you can put the slide on, the, um, that you can't duct tape fruit to a tree. You can't duct tape fruit to a tree. And the reason I picked this motto for this year is because it said something about integrity, that um, you can't fake the fruit that you have. Um, you can try your best, but it's not going to work. You can't, you can't put avos onto an orange tree, it's not going to work. An orange tree can just produce orange fruit. And then there was a small... Um, What's that enough? Subtitle. Um, that says that uh, my motto for this year is you can't duct tape fruit to a tree with the subtitle that says because the tree doesn't consume its own fruit. And I decided to make this motto uh, mine for this year, but I didn't realize the great challenge that it was going to be for me. I didn't realize it was this is going to be the year when Zuma was going to do a couple of new stunts um, with the old hashtag Zuma must fall. I didn't realize it's going to be a year where 
is going to be challenged with um, um, Angus is a great gebedsopskop na die dag in Bloemfontein. Um, how must I think about it? How must I feel about it? I didn't realize in the beginning of the year all the external challenges that me and my family was going to face when I decided to make this motto the motto for my year. And I realized that one of the main reasons why I struggle with it is because I started wondering about what kind of fruit am I truly living each day? How are people experiencing the fruit that I'm producing? Is it just religious food that I do the right stuff because I'm told to do the right stuff and it doesn't come from within me? What kind of fruit do I bear? Is it, is it rotten fruit? Is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? And why, how does the world experience people that doesn't know the Lord? How do they experience the fruit that I bear? So I was really challenged with this motto, especially in the last week while I was in the... Um, I spent four days in the bush. We did a lot of planning about my church and where we are going. Saw a lot of elephants. I was quite satisfied. Um, heard a lot of lions. Um, but when I got back, I heard about all the protest actions that was happening again this week in Colony, in Lordium, in, in Cape Town. And I asked myself the question, how on earth must the fruit look that I as a follower of Christ must bear in a country that has all these challenges? Um, and if I understand life correctly, the fruit that we as Christians really produce doesn't work <laughs> because we fight between each other. We don't excite the world about making the move from a life without the Lord to a life with the Lord. Um, and how, do we, how, how are we going to manage that? Um, so I want to share the scripture from John 15. So I don't have the English text on the screen because I didn't know I was going to preach in English. So... Um, I don't have any text at all. Sorry, Dinda. I forgot about that completely. Um, I have to in English to speak, so I don't have So in John 15, um, Jesus is already in Jerusalem. He already went to the temple, threw everything away, threw everything down, um, and he came to show the people in Jerusalem, in the temple, that he is the place where heaven and earth connects. Not the temple anymore. The Jews believed that the heaven and earth came together at the temple. And when Jesus cleansed the temple, he told the people, say, this is what you thought. The temple isn't a place where heaven and earth connects. It's me. It's a person in me as the Son of God. Jesus already washed his disciples' feet. So he already did this insane um, act of service. He already, um, what's nachmal in English? Mm. Communion. He already did the communion with his disciples. So Jesus was doing his last ditch sermon to his disciples before he was going to die on the cross. So when you read from John 13 onwards, you must know that this is Jesus' last gasp, dying moment to teach his disciples everything that he taught them the last couple of years that they didn't understand. They say, okay boys, here is rechtig my heart, ek nou vir Verstaan dit? Because the end is going to be here. So you must, when, you, when you read these words, you must listen and feel the, um, the passion and the dringendheid, urgency that Jesus has. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Okay. Um, in John 15 verse 1, I am the real vine and my father is the gardener. Very simple verse. Um, the vineyard was a very well-known metaphor for the Jews. So when Jesus told them about the vineyard, the Jews knew that in the Old Testament, um, the, the prophets and the guys that wrote down the old books of the Old Testament, they usually um, referred to the vineyard um, in, in accordance to God's judgment. 
every time in the Old Testament when there is a mention of a vineyard, it's usually in reference to that Israel isn't bearing enough fruit and God is going to come down. He's going to... We're going to go to the He's going to judge everybody the same, yes. There's not going to be your okay and your not okay. Judge everybody in Israel through the same lens, and he's going to come and destroy them. So when Jesus starts with these words, that's the picture that came up in the disciples' heads that, oh no, we're the vineyard and we're not going to be good enough. God is going to come and his judgment is going to be bigger than what we want, and he's going to destroy everything. And then from verse 2, he breaks off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And he prunes every branch that does bear fruit, so that it will be clean and bear more fruit. You have been made clean already by the teaching I have given you. Remain united to me, and I will remain united to you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It can do so only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. Whoever does not remain in me is thrown out like a branch and dries up. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire where they are burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you will ask for anything you wish and you shall have it. My Father's glory is shown by your bearing much fruit and in the way you become my disciples. Very interesting when you read these couple of verses. Um, Jesus changed the whole narrative about the vineyard. In the Old Testament, God is the guy that's going to do the judgment and he's going to destroy everything, but he's not involved, he's not present in the vineyard. And Jesus changes the whole metaphor. He said, God isn't a farmer standing on the outside just looking in, that God is involved, God is present, God is the one that's doing all the pruning of the branches that bears fruits and cutting off the branches that, isn't, that doesn't bear fruit. So the important thing here to remember is that Jesus comes to his disciples and says, that, I'm, that his boots and all involved in the vineyard and the progress of the vineyard and in the way that the vineyard is bearing fruit or not fruit. The second important thing is that Jesus tries to emphasize to his disciples that if you said you're following me, you want to be a disciple of me, then your life must bear fruit. That your life can't remain the same as the way that you lived it before you met me, that this meeting, this communion, this relationship with me must change you and it must be changed in such a way that other people can see the fruit and can van dit beleef. How can I say that? Um, and that to their advantage as well. So what's also very nice about this thing is um, normally when we talk about we must bear fruit, what's our first main thing that we fall back on? What must I do? differently? What must I do out of my own strength, out of my own thoughts, out of my own belief system? When Jesus tells this, when he uses this metaphor to his disciples, he says that you must be embedded in me. So you don't have to bear fruit out of your own power, out of your own thoughts, out of your own theology or doctrine. All you need to do is to be with, be with me, be embedded in me, and I will show you what kind of fruit you must bear. I will help you in what fruit you must bear. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't one of the main problems that Christians have such a bad rap in this world today because we see all this things, stuff that we must do and what must be and then we start making lists of say, if you must bear fruit, you must do this and this and this and this and this. And that's the total opposite of what Jesus tells here in John 15. He says, you don't have to love in any other way than the way that I have loved you. You don't have to be anything else 
than what I am because you must be embedded in me. And another nice thing is that he says, in other words, he says, be embedded in me, be dependent on me. I am the source of this love. Love from out the love that you experience from me. I am the forebuilt. Example, great. Then from verse 9, Jesus explains to the disciples exactly what he means about this love. He says, I have loved you just as the Father loves me. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you, so, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, love one another just as I love you. The greatest love a person can have for his friends is to give his life for them. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because servants do not know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, the kind of fruit that endures. And so the father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. This then is what I command you. Love one another. Nicholas will know that I, um, as a youngster, I struggled with the love of my father, and I always thought about being loved. I always struggled with the whole thing, what it means to be truly loved. And I really fell into the old trap of that I must perform enough so that I can, earn, that I can earn your love, that I can earn love from other people, that I can earn love from God. And the insane thing that Jesus tells his disciples here is to say that the fruit you must bear is to you must love other people. And how must you love other people? You must love them with my love. So that when I realized this, I started to realize, Lord, what does it mean if you say that you love me? That I must first experience in my own being how incredible, insane, without boundaries God's love is for me before I can love other people in the same way. Because how insanely is God's love? The first thing is that God's love is different than people's love. It's not patient. It's patient. It's not impatient. It's patient. That God's love isn't doesn't work the same way as our love. Philip Yance, I read a quote about Philip Yance, he must have heard it somewhere, but he says in one of his books, he says, grace means that God already loves us as much, grace means that there's nothing we can do for God to make God love us more. And then he lists a whole lot of stuff. You can give all your money to poor people, you can become a missionary, um, you can um, drive Sony to see with Philip Yance's t-shirt on, you can do anything, but that's not going to make God love you more. And then he says, there's nothing, grace means there's nothing we can do that can make God love us less. And then he lists all kinds of sins, including murder, adultery, and even rape. And he says, there's nothing we can do that can make God love us less. And then he says this insane thing, he says, because grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. So we have to realize that that's the insanity of God's love, that there's nothing I can do, nothing that can happen in my life that can make that God doesn't love me. If I want to live in his love, he loves me. If I hate him, if I'm an atheist, if I, doesn't, if I don't believe in him, he still loves me. <laughs> and there's nothing that can change it. The second insane thing about God's love is that there's no place in heaven, on earth, in life, where we can escape the love of God. If you want to read the scripture, I know you know it, but it's just so insanely cool to me. Um, for I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor other heavenly rulers or powers. Neither the present, nor the future. Neither the world above, nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, 
which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when I struggled with this, I realized there were a lot of spaces in my life where I didn't want to be loved by God. And stuff that I did showed that I didn't want to be loved by God because it's not the best kind of stuff that I did. But I realized that God's love is so insane that He loves me even when I don't want to be loved by Him. And the third thing about God's love is that God loves chooses me. In Ephesians 4, 1 verse 4, it says, Even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be His through our union with Christ, so that we would be holy and without fault before Him. So God chose me even though I didn't give Him any reason to. So Jesus is telling His disciples here in John 15 that one, you must be embedded in God, Two, you must bear fruit, and the fruit that you must bear isn't stuff that you have to do out of your own power, out of your own knowledge, out of your own strength. You must do it through my love. And the fruit that you must bear must be the kind of love that I have for you. And it's necessary for me to understand how extravagant, how without boundaries, how unconditional God's love is for me before I can have that love for other people. And we recently celebrated the climax in history about when God showed his love to us with the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Where Jesus showed that his love for us is unconditional, that it's servanthood, that it's, um, that it's to die in oneself for other people. So, if I say that you can't duct tape fruit to a tree because the fruit doesn't consume its own fruit, and we read John 15, that's Jesus' passionate plea to his disciples to really step up and start bearing fruit and start loving everybody the way that he loves us. What does that mean for our context today in South Africa, where we are challenged politically, economically? We sit with a president that um, today said that he wants his ex-wife to become the new president. I don't know if you read that in the newspaper, so it's an awesome place and time to be in. We sit with the whole... Um, insanely the division between rich and poor. What does John 15 mean for me and you today that we can live in such a way and bear such fruit that ons die koninkryk van Heere opdoner dier wat ons doen nie. As jy verstaan wat ek sê. That we don't mess up the way that we do. And not the kind of soppy Hollywood happily ever after um, fikis and rainbows kind of love. What betekent het visies prakties vir die Heere van ons vroeg? How must our fruit look so that the people that doesn't know the Lord says, just I want to be part of this sect, I want to be part of this bende, ek wil deel van die groep mense wees. I think the first thing is, and that's the one thing that I realize, is that in all the smart people in the world um, these, time, of these days um, say that to change the world isn't going to happen through projects. To change the world needs to happen where each one of us realize our own identity and what our identity in Christ is. So the first thing practically that this, the scriptures say to me is that for me to bear fruit that makes a difference in this country that God gave us is that I must know my identity. And my identity is that God loves me insanely and that God chose me and that I'm his beloved. There's this insane scripture in um, uh, Zechariah, going to get it. No, not Zechariah. Oh, I wish. Uh, Jeremiah. Almost the same. 
so wie wann ich gehe das ist ein Afrikaans, aber das kann sicher nicht wahr sein. Ach, oh, das ist das. Jeremiah 1, Vers 5. Es ist das folgende. Wenn Jesus spoke to Jeremiah, er sagte, Ich habe dich bevor ich dir dein Leben gegeben Und bevor du geboren wurdest, habe ich dich selektiert, um ein Prophet zu den Nationen zu sein. Der Afrikaans in der originalen Hebrew sagt es so viel schöner. Es sagt, ein Afrikaans sagt es, Voordat ek jou in jou moederskoot gevorm het, het ek jou geken. I knew you before you were born. Um, the same, the word that he uses here is the same word that we used in the Old Testament for sex. So God says that I knew you so intimately before you were born, the same way that a husband knows his wife. Dat sê dat voordat jy gebore is, het ek jou aan my gewaai. The word used there is that I chose you before you were born. I chose you, you didn't choose me. And then further it says, in jou as a profeet vir die nazies aangestel. A better translation says that I gave you as a gift to the world. For us to really bear the fruit that Jesus wants us to bear is that we must realize our own identity. That God's love for us is truly amazing. That Jesus' cross really came to emphasize the way that God loves us. That His resurrection made that we can truly live in this love without fear, without prejudice. That there's no boundaries for this love. If we rebel against it, if we want it, if we don't want it, that that's who we are. That's our identity and nothing can change that. So for me and you to bear the fruit that Jesus wants for us to bear is that we must really realize our true identity, that we are beloved by God, that we are God's beloved, that we are loved by Him, and that nothing can change that. The second important thing, and me that works in the Dutch Reformed Church, um, that's really quite stuck in traditions and rituals and um, um, self-containment, and it's about us and not the world. The second thing that we realize, that I realize that we need to do, is that our love must cross boundaries. That our love cannot be confined and our fruit cannot be confined to the people that we are comfortable with. That the people that we are, that the people that we like, that the people that we love, that the people, what say you so, waarmee ek hou, waarmee ek gemakkelijk is nie. Jesus came to show us that his love crossed boundaries. He, um, he ate with sinners, he ate with religious leaders, he ate with Jews, he ate with non-Jews. He ate with women, he ate with men, he ate with tolerance, with sick people and with healthy people. That Jesus showed us that his love must cross boundaries. And I read a book the other day where the guy asked a couple of questions about to, to really test the way that you really love other people. And one of the one questions that he said is, um, how many friends do you have that doesn't have the same skin color as you? I thought, yes, I got them to be a BE, Mikey, so I guess, okay. Um, but then I realized that we live in a country where, where the ratio is one white for eight to nine black people. The second question the guy asked in his book, he said, how many people of different cultures do you know? And I started thinking that all my BE buddies think the uh, same way about life about me. There's coconut, so they're so they're middle class so they have the same kind of finances that I do they're also frustrated with the ANC they're not a part of their tribal families anymore they broke away from that so they think about life the same way as I do and the third thing that the guy in his book asked how many people from different religions are part of your life and I started thinking geez there's nothing and then I realized that I'm bearing fruit for myself and for trees that's the same as me, and not for the people that really needs us. 
So the first one is that I must really know my identity, that I'm loved by God. The second thing is that this knowledge of who I am, God's beloved, no matter how I struggle in life, is that my love must cross boundaries. And I think if we really are honest about our role in South Africa, I think that's one of the main places where churches are really dropping the ball. It's not to convert the whole country. But I think we must be the way where the restitution and the, the poverty and the medical care, the churches has to be the way where those boundaries are crossed. And we must be the embodiment of Christ in that. It's not the government's responsibility. But we don't cross boundaries in the love that God gives us to give to other people. We keep it with the people that we feel comfortable with, where we feel safe. And the third thing I, I believe that Jesus is telling us today through John 15 is that our love must become visible in a land that is struggling. In a land where there's a lot of potential and hope, but where there's a lot of chaos and discourse. And it's not a good place. About four weeks ago was the first Zuma must fall um, protest action. And I really, I really made it a big thing of it because I didn't really know what, what God wants me to do in regards to this because I can't protest opinion. I don't like... I don't love petitions. I think when the casino opened up and all the Christians in the Pretoria East came up in arms and said, we must say no to the casino, I thought, cool, the Vicky Monte Casino to the rainy. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't for the whole petition thing. Um, but so that's not, this is, this is not, not part of my being. And, um, and then I watched a video on YouTube uh, where the South African Christian leaders. Institute said for Christians today to show the love of God to our fellow countrymen to really cross boundaries is there's three P's that we must do. I added the fourth because I'm never satisfied with what other people tell me to do. So, and the three P's that they say that our Christian responsibility today to love other people the way that they can really see it and feel it and believe it is the first one is that we must pray. Because what happens when we pray? We pray and say, God, this is a mess. We can't fix it. We need you to be involved in this broken We need you to come from the transcendent and become part of the present because we can't fix this on our own. And that was in a time when Angus came with his good gebed opskop in Bloemfontein. And that's not my spirituality. So I was negative about that. I said, Jesus, Christians aren't supposed to group together in times like this. We're supposed to be visible where the need are. But when I saw this video clip, I realized that not all Christian spirituality are the same as mine. So instead of condemning them and saying, yes, here is a lot of idiots, and for 10 years on the path of Jesus, and they're all in the and they're all in the path it's stupidity. But those Christians realized that they need to pray for our country because we need God to be present in our country for this country to change. So pray is the first one that they said, pray, 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 pray. So big events, you as a family together, um, the second one is, that challenged me is, they say Christians must get involved in protest action. So that one picture is when I went to my first protest action, um, and it was awesome. If you've never experienced the optoch, you must do that. It's the most insane kind of experience. Um, 
that I've had in my life in regards to stuff like this because it was totally out of my comfort zone. I'm an introvert, so I don't like a lot of people. And it was wit and swart and pink and green and all so around me. There was guys dancing. I didn't know the songs, but I ended up dancing with... Uh, I looked like a, a mosquito on heat. Uh, it wasn't... <laughs> um, but... Uh, hmm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the second thing the Christian Leadership Institute said that is Christians need to get involved in protest action. But then I realized not just the protest action that I'm comfortable with, but also it's good to bitch and moan when it on soccer begin rock. So we didn't, we weren't involved in the whole Americana thing. We weren't involved in all the other stuff about poverty or poor medical um, stuff or poor service delivery. We only got involved when we realized that the economy in the economy is in trouble, so my pension and my salary and my job security is up, is, is, is not possible, because I don't know if you know that Dominus Krenet Geld is Jelle Fons Geld here. So where's the first place that people cut their money is when trouble gets, when it's a difficult time, they don't get their money to the church. So the challenge that they said is you mustn't just get involved when it's about us. You must get involved in a protest action when it's for other people as well. Because what did Jesus came to do? He came to be a voice for the poor, the sick, the hungry, the outcast, the guys that weren't good enough. So we need to be involved. I don't know who of you listen to Disturbs music. Insanely good band. Um, they have a song called The Light. I don't know if you heard that before. But in the chorus of the song it says, Sometimes darkness will show you the light. And I, I preached, I used actually that song in a Dutch Reformed service. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but I say that that's one thing that frustrates me, that if we really believe that we as Christians, the Spirit lives within us, that we are the light because the God who is the light is living within us, that we must be where the darkness is. That's the whole job of light. And this is what I'm irritated with the Angus Now all the light is going to a place where there's just light, and that's not what we're supposed to We need to be the light in the darkness. And then I changed that, that, that chorus when I preached in my church about this song, I said, for Christians, it means darkness will always show you the light. That Christians need to be involved in a protest action and protest in such a way that it's Christian, full of love, with peace, and non-racist. Um, so, no hashtag Zuma's You must protest the way that a Christian is supposed to protest. The third thing that the Christian Leadership Institute said that Christians are supposed to do to show the country that we really love them is that we must start putting pressure on people in powerful positions. That we who have the voice and the money, we must hold people accountable because more than 70% of our country says they believe in God. So where's the most perfect space to start holding these people accountable in accordance of justice, mercy, grace, love, servant leadership? It's with the Christians. And we must start putting pressure on social media and letters that we write to the government or whoever is screwing up the Blue Bulls Rugby Union um, to put pressure on them as well. So first one is pray, protest, pressure. And then the fourth one that I added is privilege. To start being honest about our white privilege. And not only the word white privilege word but start being honest and saying that we're privileged. We have opportunities we have more money than most people in this country, and not to feel guilty about it, but say, geez, Lord, thanks that you blessed me. And start thinking about the way that God has privileged me in this country so that I can be a blessing to the people that live in this country. 
start thinking differently about how I spend my money, um, if I can make some lifestyle changes, um, what difference can I make, where can I serve, instead of feeling guilty about being privileged. I don't know if you know, but about two years ago, the, the newest stats from Stats SA said that more than 53% of the people in this country live on less than 950 rand a month. That's the same amount that we pay for our DSTV subscription every month. So more than 53% of the people in our country live on less than that. And to stop feeling guilty about it, say, geez, Lord, I didn't do anything. I worked my butt off, I studied and stuff like that. But I had those opportunities because you placed me in a position where I had the opportunity to go and do this. Be honest about our privilege. And say, okay, Lord, how can I use my privilege to make a difference? How can I use my privilege to start bearing fruit that the rich and the poor, the sick and the healthy, um, can start experience this through my life? You all know this saying about Mother Teresa. It says, if you can't feed a hundred, feed one. So when I heard that the theme for, the, for this month is life stuff is questions, I really struggled saying, why isn't Christianity making the difference that we are supposed to do? Because we can give people hope of life after death. If you want to invite me again, I'll preach about that. I saw that as one of the questions. We can give people open regards to that, about being reunited to a family, being in the presence of God, but there's no pain, no sorrow, and all that stuff. We can help people being free of their guilt and the shame and destruction that they have experienced in their life. We can give people purpose to live a significant life. And we have the resources, the finances, the food and stuff to make a difference. But why doesn't it happen? Because I think we're living with duct tape fruit to our trees and we're consuming our own fruit. I'm going to pray in Afrikaans because I can't pray in English. Oh, Jesus. I word eindelijk elke keer in die park uitgeslaan as ek eerst met die skrif bezig is, met die woord, en net te besef hoe in syn jy ingryp in die lewe is. Jesus, so dankie dat jy dier traditie en dier gewoontes en dier verwachtinge en dier menselike verstaan kom inbreek het in die wereld, dier die geboorte van die sien, en dat jy dier Jesus' lewe vir ons kom oorbreek het hoe jy oor ons voel, wat jy oor ons dink, wat jy van ons verwacht. Daarom ons ek vir so dankie dat ons somdat op Jesus focus, dat ons hele verstaan van feit dit helemaal ontlatterd kan raak. Want hy was ontlatterd gewees. En ek kom betrachtig hier Jesus, dat jy ons sal kom help om dit wie Jesus was, deel van ons menswees en verstaan, en ek op die lewe te kom deel maak van ons. Hier Jesus, dankie dat ek my hele wees kan glo, dat jy evangelie, En om deel van die familie te wees, is rechtig die antwoord nie net vir ons land nie, maar vir wereld wat stikkend en gebroke is. En ek het rechtig soos een oningelichte broodboom, dat om die hele wees glo, dat die evangelie die antwoord is. En dan om van hoe harte verander kan word, hoe, ge, hoe levensstijle verander kan word, hoe verhoudinge verander kan word. Maar ek kom betrachtig, en ek kom vraag die vergifnis, dat het ons soveel strooi aan jou grond, om dit om het nie recht te kry nie. Om ons nie recht te vrug dra nie, Moet ons nie vir ander vrug draan hier is, maar vir ons self. En ek kom bid dat hierdie faith community van third place rechtig gechallenge sal word rondom dit. Dat dit nie die holy huddle sal word, waar hy net deels mekaar sal omgeen nie. 
maar dat die vruchten wat hulle hier sal leer om te beer, dat God hulle rechtig hulle community sal kom transform. Om betrachtig vir die leadership en die gemeente wijsheid, oor hoe om dit te manage en hoe om dit te doen, zodat so die gemeenskap rechtig verskil maak in die community waarbij hulle geplant is. Please open our eyes to the wrong fruit that we bear and help us to bear the right fruit by helping us realizing our identity, by giving us the guts to cross boundaries and by bearing fruit in a country that needs it so desperately. Dank je dat ons in een verwachting kan leef, dat soos die Israel in ballingskap was en gemors geleef het, dat ons in een verwachting geleef het, dat hulle gaan terugkom en dat die Israel gaan kom herstel. Kom bid ek die woorde van Jeremia 29 ook vir ons land waar sal wees. Dat die drome droom in die land, dat die verwachting het, dat die mooi goed koester vir die land. Maar help ons om van ons vrieken alles af op te staan en dit te begin leef en dit te begin wees. So ons land kan kan transformeer soos wat die glo in die hart en die begeerte is. Kom bid in die kostbare naam van Jesus. Amen.